Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, JMU, they're not national. Yeah, champions. big surprise. Actually, yeah, I was going to be sarcastic and say big surprise, but no, to me, that's <laughs> big, big surprise. Look. Like, I actually thought they were going to be national champions, and we were going to talk about how great of a game and, and what it means for JMU's dynasty, but now it's kind of the opposite. Um, we'll dive into it later, but we'll talk a little bit about NDSU's dynasty, JMU's I'm, I'm putting air quotes up, Dynasty now. Um, and a lot of great stuff from that game. Not great in terms of game plan and gameplay itself, but in terms of content. Well, like clock management. I thought clock management was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clock management is definitely the best one. Also, not spying Trey Lance is another. Well, here's the deal. Trey Lance, clearly, he's a pass-first guy, just like North Dakota <laughs> State. They're pass-first <laughs> offense. So what you want to do... If you want to sit back and pass coverage, and you want your defensive ends to rush as far up the field as possible, leaving a gaping hole in the middle, which I thought they executed to perfection. We'll get, we'll get into that. We'll get into that at some point. Besides yeah. all of that, be sure to follow us at Twitter at JMU Sports News and check us out on our home on the web, www.JMU Sports News. You can catch up on all of our fantastic content we had throughout National Championship Week and the fantastic content that will be coming to you for the rest of this winter season going into spring season. Yes, for sure. And before we get started, shout out to you for getting a job. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Tell everyone about your exciting position. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Um, I have a job, and that's that's the end of that one. No, um, I got a job with CBS Sports Network. It was kind of weird, the whole – not weird. Uh, it was a job I didn't really – They're listening. Yeah, I know. That's Be what careful. I was thinking. I was like, how, how weird – what can I say about it? No, but the recruiter reached out to me via LinkedIn, and it was – I've had a couple of those types of jobs come up in the last couple of months where the recruiters kind of reach out. And this one I was the most hesitant about to, like, go through with because I read it. I was like, CBS Sports, like, this has to be, like, a fake or something trying to steal my identity. But I went through with it, and (laughs) I was like, what do I have to lose? I have no money. I 
I have one job that's a part-time job. Let's just go for it. And so one thing led to another and I got a call on Friday and they were like, we want to extend an offer to you. And I was like, all right, perfect. I accept. I don't need to hear the terms. I accept. Well, I'm very excited. Thank you. And then, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be pushing off CBS sports network content by we, I mean me constantly (laughs) all through through Jamie sports (laughs) news, Twitter. I'm in on this, but there's a, I love me some CBS sports. Network. I am excited to do it. Cause like going through their Twitter and stuff, like it's good, but it's just, I, I sound like um, I'm in an interview right now, explaining to them why the job excites me, but it's, it's a really <laughs> exciting opportunity and I'm glad to do it. So everyone follow CBS sports network, CBS sports HQ. Um, you can follow CBS sports, but I won't really be tweeting on that. And you'll know it's me when I make a huge mistake, like saying we ran just seven plays on second and short instead of saying we ran just seven pass <laughs> plays on second and short. Everyone needs a good mistake. <laughs> that was a really long pause. <laughs> now pause for? Clemson just beat Duke in basketball. And I was like, what? <laughs> Clemson? What? This has been the year of just weird basketball stuff. It's crazy. It opens up the door for Jane. Yeah, but they're not going to take advantage of that because they we'll get to that later too. Maybe if we have time. No, I, this is a team. I want to focus mostly (laughs) on this basketball team because I think there's something special brewing in Harrisburg. Okay. What did we see on the uh, football field to get you completely off of your fake basketball (laughs) takes? Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I thought JMU, I don't think they played that badly. Like, I thought they did some things well. I thought Danucci was solid. Stapleton was awesome. It was just they couldn't really stop Trey Lance in the running game. And there were so many opportunities where it felt like if they could get one stop or one possession or whatever, they could really make it a game or take a commanding lead or a lead or whatever. I mean, you look at even the – so JMU scores in the first possession, right? And they take like seven and a half minutes off the clock. Incredible drive. I think it was, it was close to 20 plays. It was, I think it was, it was over a beautiful 15. drive. Yeah. yeah, incredible. Moving the ball really well. They ran it well. They threw it well. Everything is perfect, right? So they go down, they score. The field's still probably a little slick with some snow on it and stuff. You're thinking, all right, if they can move the ball like that in the first quarter, there are good things to come. They go out the next possession. They give up like a few yards on first down. Then they get a sack of Trey Lance. It's third and 11. And if they get a stop there, three and out after going down with a seven and a half minute touchdown drive, I think that would have been huge. Instead, Trey Lance breaks off a massive run and then shreds them the rest of the drive, and they score and tie the game at seven. And I feel like that um, – it definitely changed the game a little bit because I think if you're JMU, if you're able to stop Lance, maybe you're spying him at that point and throughout the game, you're able to do that, stop him, get the ball back, and you've already you know seen the Bison defense on the field for seven and a half minutes. You can start wearing them down and really get into your game plan, which is what Signetti wants to do is be very run-heavy with a lead. So I think that it started off almost perfectly and then their inability to contain Lance on that first drive, I think was kind of yeah. killer. I mean, like you said, there were just times they moved the ball so well, like when they were kind of staging that comeback late in the fourth quarter, it just seemed like everything was clicking that first drive. Everything was clicking like on their scoring drives, things just seemed to go well. Um, and then a couple of times they'd had to settle, settle for field goals when like a sack or uh, just a bad like first play of a drive or something would happen. But overall, I thought their offense played fairly well and against a, a tough North Dakota State defense. It was the 
the JMU defense, though, was kind of the craziest thing to me. It wasn't their secondary. It wasn't their defensive backs. It wasn't even their linebackers that have been suspect at points during the season. It was the D-line, what we were all heralding as the best D-line in the country. This is what's going to win them the game. And it was kind of their weakest point because North Dakota State knew it was their strength, and they they used it and made it JMU's biggest weakness. Yeah, we talked about this um, over text. Just like we looked at NFL teams, and some NFL teams were going up against a mobile quarterback. They don't rush up field as much as JMU did, so they sort of – um, just almost like bull rush, and they sort of condense yeah. the pocket, but they, they stay in, so it's almost like a contained pocket where they force the player to throw, but they are pushing it in so that he doesn't necessarily have all day. And it's tough to do, and it you know it, it's mostly done at the NFL level, but it's something that when you have as much time to prepare yeah. as JMU did, I think that could have been really valuable, especially if you're not going to use a spy. You've got to do something, and I don't think they ever adjusted to Trey Lance scrambling, which was clearly North Dakota State's best offense, and if you're not going to adjust to try to stop it, I mean, they're just going to kill you. And that's yeah, kind of like it, it seemed like at times the defense was the, the North Dakota State's offensive line was giving them the outside. Like they were saying, you can rush us out there and, and take that step and go around us. And this is kind of hard to explain without being able to be seen. But like because my hands are doing all the movement and like motioning of it. So like North Dakota State was saying, you can take that edge rush and try to do finesse and speed around, we're not going to give you the inside for you to come in and just get into Lance's face right away. And JMU again and again and again fell into that trap and took the outside, which then opened up a huge lane for Trey Lance. And that's what we kind of saw in that, what, that third and 23. I remember sitting back Mm -hmm. and the second they snapped the ball, I'm very intoxicated at this point because I'm drinking away my sorrows. And I just go (laughs) before, before the ball is snapped, I just go, they're going to get this. They're going to get this. And my friend goes, who's sitting next to me, he's like, no, they're not. Stop. Trey Lance drops back, and I'm like, they're definitely going to get this. Granted, I didn't think he was going to run for it, but then when he took off and I saw all the green, I was like, that's it. There it is. And then what did he do? Taking him for a touchdown. 44 yards, was it? (laughs) Yep, 44-yard touchdown run. Was that Um, sniffle because of a a tear ran down your – down your face. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It's just. Uh, it was tough. Yeah, I was trying to remember. It was 44 yards. I mean, it's just crazy to give that up on a third and 23. And Where's your um, spot? I guess I was distracted Sorry. too. We'll get, we'll get exactly. that to our next bullet point. Right now we're just saying. No, no. I was. <laughs> yeah, no, I was saying I was um, distracted too because I was thinking about the play and just going through it in my mind. And a lot of people brought up that Charles Tutt was held and he very much was. Um, but he still gets the first down. Right, even if Tut isn't healthy, he catches him maybe ten yards short of the end zone, but it's still a first yeah. down. So I understand that the the holding played a role, and maybe I don't know exactly how it would have worked um, if it was called, if it still would have been a first down or whatever. But I don't, I don't know that that really like changed the game as much as some people are saying. Um, even if it if it's called and it maybe isn't a first down or something, I think the whole point here, right? The whole point here is that like they gave up that scramble where even if Tut's there. Let's say he doesn't hold. I think it's still a good chance at a first down. Um, I don't know. It's just like you can't to give up a scramble on third and twenty-three to a guy who's been scrambling all day is so yeah. bad. Like it's yeah. really bad. And I know that some people are upset when people take um, sort of criticize JMU. The Dukes had an incredible season, right? And you can't really take away anything from them this year. Fourteen and two, they were solid. But I think it's fair to criticize in this game 
and at least look at reasons why they lost because it was a winnable game, right? It's not, and it was a winnable game a, down to the wire. Like even yes. at the, the end, it's a winnable game. Like even with the Trey Lance run, we'll get into the fake field goal a little bit too. But but mm-hmm. right now, harping on this <laughs> on this Trey Lance scramble, it's still a winnable game despite him breaking off yeah. a forty four touched forty four yard touchdown run when it's third and twenty three. It's still winnable. But back to what you were saying. Yeah, and I think that that's the issue. Is like it was winnable, and they made so many dumb plays. But it's it's the lack of adjusting. I don't think like some people are saying that those dumb plays were kind of fluky. I don't think they're fluky at all. No, I think not those at are all. those are decisions that they've sort of made all season. I thought they were out coached pretty good. You look at the last play, the interception, North Dakota State. Apparently on the sideline, everybody knew what play was coming, which is why they intercepted it. The safety jumped off a route and was able to intercept it because he knew exactly what was coming. It's a play yeah, apparently and- Shane Montgomery has done at Youngstown State a ton. Yeah, me so it's and like- uh, one yard passes really don't work out well. <laughs> they don't gel well for the Seahawks fan no I mean they I don't know I just thought it was predictable I think a lot of the stuff they did was predictable you look at North Dakota State um, they fake field goals a lot and they've done it with the exact guy they had an older the oh my god that was I the mean, funniest part to that whole fake field goal situation how it was like yeah the only time they ever run a fake field goal is when they bring out this other holder and then the guy who was kicking hadn't kicked a field goal since the season opener. In that situation, let him kick, man. Go play like you're playing a normal defense. Go into like a 4-3. Like, I don't care what you're doing. You do not, in that situation, need to have any sort of field goal block. Like, just awful. So, I mean, that was frustrating. And then I think to me, and this is maybe picking nits, but to me what was most frustrating is the drive they had to cut the lead to, to eight. When they were down 28-13, they went down and scored a touchdown. But they used Gage Maloney, and they had Latrell Palmer, and they basically ran down the field. I know they scored a touchdown, but the amount of time they wasted on that See, drive, to me, was so stupid. Okay, I have a kind. I have a different take on that. I kind of like draining the clock in that situation, like doing what they did. Um, because in the end, when they got the ball back, they then drove it right back down the field and – if they had scored, there would have been minimal time left, which the way North Dakota State was moving the ball is, is optimal. So I kind of like how you set up the end game for that. Um, what I don't get, and I want to get your take on this, is Latrell Palmer not playing at all until the fourth quarter. Yeah, that didn't make a ton of sense to me at all. And then I don't like putting Maloney in. And that I just was, didn't like them. That was weird. I, lo- I get what, they're, what they did because they basically said, all right, we're going to score this possession. We're going to find a way to get a stop, and then we have a drive to tie it, and we'll go to OT, which I get. But for me, when you're down 15 in the fourth, like, wouldn't you want to try to maximize possessions as much as possible? Like, I know they scored a touchdown. I just don't – I thought they still could have scored a touchdown with Danucci throwing the ball around a little bit <laughs> and maybe with Palmer. So I don't – I just don't get putting in a quarterback that is definitely not going to throw the ball in that spot. But I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. And then Palmer was a guy – Oh, yeah, you probably want him a little more early. I thought Hamilton well, struggled a bit in the first quarter, and I was surprised they stuck with him for so long. Yeah, I mean, in those conditions, what? Hamilton is a finesse He's a runner. He's guy, yeah. He's a speed. He needs his footing. He needs to be able to cut back. And Percy, Percy's just kind of a mix, and he's a little bit of everything. But then you have Latrell Palmer, who when you were down in Villanova and you were on the verge of losing that game, you brought in Latrell Palmer and what did he do? He busted off what a 63 yard touchdown run. And it's just an amazing runner. And he did that all season up until when he was injured. And then you have him at your disposal. It's the perfect game to bring him out. There's hardly any tape on him. You're going up against North Dakota state. 
and the field is disgusting. Like yeah. that's the time you bring out a just up the gut inside zone type of runner who's going to pound it. And waiting to bring him out into the fourth quarter was just a very interesting idea. I had forgotten about him completely until I saw him in the game in the <laughs> yeah. fourth quarter. And I was like, wait, why hasn't he been in since the beginning? Why has it just been a two-headed monster when we have four back there? Yeah, it didn't, it didn't make a ton of sense. I was surprised with the coaching decisions, um, personnel, clock management, just the general conservative nature. I mean, they, they were afraid to go for it on multiple occasions didn't go for it. Um, they were conservative. They had a third and 15 early in the game where they ran it. They had a third and eight near the goal line at some point where they ran it as well. Neither of those converted. Well, here's I a, think. here's a quick stat. I mean, um, I don't know how reliable these numbers are <laughs> uh, just cause we were kind of crunching them right before we, we came on the podcast, but according to Twitter profile coach at steel city baller, JMU passed the ball. 61 times all season in the red zone, which is 25, roughly 20% of plays in the red zone were passes. So, I mean, three, to- three times out of four, you're going to get a run there on third and eight. I mean, it's, it's super weird. I mean, you just look at, like, the situation and the way that Riley played where he was dominating. I think to not – Riley was absolutely throw- destroying – sorry to interrupt you for 15 No, no, it's, it's just to not throw him a ball there is so dumb. Like, I don't, and it looked like he had a conversation with Danucci after the play Signetti. So maybe it was a run pass option and Danucci made the wrong read. But whatever it was, like, you can't, in that situation, you have to throw the football. Yeah. Riley was absolutely so I, destroying in that game, though. And, and it just seemed like they were kind of forcing the, especially the last play. You, you run a play that Montgomery's known for, and you know North Dakota State's game plans you perfectly. And what do you do? You kind of try and force the ball to Polk. In that situation, <laughs> and you have a timeout or two. I think you had one timeout in that situation, and a field goal is not yeah. So why don't you run the ball? If you get it, great. If you don't, quick timeout, and then we can reassess. Like, I don't know. I think it's weird, too, because he's got this identity of being a run-first guy, and that's a situation where you could stick to it and actually run the ball. Yeah, it kind of you... sounds like the Seahawks. Man, exactly. more and more as we talk about it, it sounds more and more like the 2014 <laughs> Super Bowl. Heartbreak. Or they could have went to uh, either staple thing because Dylan also had a good game. They're both good red zone targets. So I don't. Or you could run it with Danucci on like a rollout. I just, yeah, I don't fully understand going to Hulk on that kind of play. Um, I know it's a play that they like and that they thought they had at points, but to kind of float one to like the far hash, I don't, I don't really get it. No, um, I don't either. And hindsight is twenty twenty, but I think coaching to me was the one big difference. You look at North Dakota State, rolled the dice a lot, and it worked. Uh, JMU, I think they went the, did the one trick play, which was very predictable, and they lost eight yards. <laughs> that was a terrible one where they had Maloney throw to Danucci. <laughs> the defense didn't bite at all because Ben Danucci is very clearly lined up at wide receiver, catches it behind the line, then takes an eight yard sack. So I don't, I don't really understand what what they were doing with that, especially at the timing. That was the drive. That was a big drive. And they ended up – was that the one they did end up scoring, though? Or was that the one they didn't? That was the last drive, wasn't it? I think that was the last drive of the game. Was there a drive between when they scored it and the sat, that one? I think it, they scored and then got a stop and then got the ball, right? I think it was two in a row, but I could be wrong. Okay. They, then it, it, they didn't score on the drive. I thought they had – I thought they did had, score on it. 
Uh, no, that was the. I think it was the last drive where he ends up throwing the interception because they hit somebody for like a twenty yard gain right after. I think. Oh, okay. I think. Oh, let me look up the play by play. Make sure I get this right. So am I too. As as we fumble our way through this, his eight yard sack. I blacked out once he got sacked. But also, while you're looking up that sack, I just want to talk about not having a spy on Trey Lance during that game. Yes, like go for it. I think this is something we need to talk about. We talked about a little bit. The defense was rushing hard upfield and continuing continuously would get to Lance, but not bring him down which then opened up at least 10 yards of green space every single time. And every time he'd take advantage of it and never once did, did um, Signetti make the kind of adjustment to say, all right, let's not blitz Mike green. Let's not blitz a deep Atari wall, or let's, let's keep Landon word and, and, and cut, pull him out of coverage and make him the spy. Like at no point was that ever done. And I just think that's absolutely mind boggling. Yeah, I thought the takes about Trey Lance being a bad quarterback that we saw were incredibly dumb. But what I will say is he was not throwing the ball great in this game. He was missing open receivers. They had one play where the broadcast zoomed out, and they're like, look at him here. He tucks it down. He scans the field. He's got nobody open. And he had like three guys wide open <laughs> streaking down the middle of the field. And he was like, oh, well, he missed his tight end there. But then he, <laughs> then he ends up running <laughs> doing this. And, I mean, he wasn't really looking for guys. He threw a pass to Wayne Davis that should have been intercepted. He was kind of inaccurate with the ball. I didn't think he was overly impressive as a quarterback. So to not stop him with a spy was just irresponsible, really. It was, it was not not good at all. And then looking back at what we saw, it was the final drive. They lost the eight yards um, on the sack, but then they gained nine yards, six yards, and three yards on a fourth down. That was the Jawan Hamilton one to convert, um, where he may or may not have been down, and then they threw the pick at the, at the end of the drive. So. so. Whew. Man, but uh, uh, I don't know. I was very frustrated with the coaching because it felt like the strategy worked so, so well against teams that are worse than JMU. And then they played West Virginia, who was basically even in North Dakota State, who was basically even. They didn't become more aggressive. They didn't alter their strategy and they lost both games. And in games like that, too, that's when it is acceptable to be completely aggressive because – because what does a loss have to do? Literally nothing to you. In both of the games, so West Virginia game and FBS, loss doesn't hurt you, and FBS wins helps you in every single way. It, in a national championship, what does a loss do? It makes you the first loser. Like, what? a win makes you the national champion. I don't throw everything you know about conservativeness and things like that. It is, it is the time to go for it on fourth and one when you're on your own 45. Like, that is the time. Right. Like you look at the Northern Iowa game when they won 17 nothing and they were super conservative and played defense. Genius, right? Yeah. Perfect. Because Northern Iowa could not move the football. Northern Iowa could not move the football and you're playing for more than just that game. Exactly. You want to get through it. You want to make sure that you're safe and find a way to just pull out a win. And if that means winning ugly, which they knew they could do, absolutely perfect. North Dakota State, they couldn't stop the run. They yeah. could not stop it. And mostly just Trey Lance. And they didn't adjust, and they didn't become more aggressive. They didn't change things up. And you look at, like, West Virginia. West Virginia's offense started to really click a little bit late in the game. They hit some deep passes and stuff. And that was a situation where I thought JMU should have been more aggressive at numerous occasions. They had a fourth down in their own territory late in the game. They ended up punting, which was just completely nonsensical. They still got the ball back because West Virginia was also horribly dumb (laughs) in that game in terms of clock management. But, like, I don't know. It's frustrating when you start – the year and you lose the year with those those big moments i think the worst part of it is that to me 
those were the two most memorable games of the year, the two that really stood out to me and I think mean the most to the program. I yeah. think if you can win an FBS game against a Power 5 team, that sort of lingers for years and the same with a national championship. So to go into those games almost with a, like, trying not to lose mentality to me is just so backwards. Yeah, and when you try not to lose, you end up losing. And when you try to win, you normally win. Just a quick one more note on that weird Gage Maloney to Ben DiNucci sack. Yes. <clears throat> it forced JMU to take a timeout. Ah. Uh-huh. Right uh-huh. afterwards. Yeah. So you lose a timeout there at the end of the game when you wish you had two instead of one. Things could be a lot different. I don't know. Who knows? Anything else what we saw, what we didn't see? Oh, do we want to talk about – it was one of the Twitter questions. Do we want to talk about the um, – they get a first down to Riley Stapleton with 38 seconds and they let 16 seconds <laughs> go off? Yeah, I want you to kind of answer this because I didn't really pick this up and this is a really great um, like observation was... and question by Stephen Patton. So I was watching the game in the JPJ press area with David Teal, <laughs> who is a legend who went to JMU and he works for the Daily Press. And we are watching it, streaming it, and the clock is ticking and ticking and ticking. And we're like, what are they doing? Like, the clock management there was horrible. And that kind of cost them late in the game because I think they certainly would have ran um, late if they had, had done something here. But basically, they got a first down, if I remember it correctly, to Stapleton. And I think there was – I think it was off – pass interference or offsides. Um, pass interference. Pass interference. To put them down on go. three or something like that. I think it was, was it that? It might have been the one. No, it was the one before that. That's what it was. Oh, okay. So it, it yeah, was the offsides. offsides. It was the offsides. He throws it. Just 22 yard it? gains. No. Why no, yeah. Put the cl- was it, it was, the gain? It was, it was the gain, the, wasn't it? Ben DiNucci complete to Riley for 22 yards. Yes, offsides on NDCU. It it's yes. declined. But because it's declined, the clock keeps running. If they had accepted it, it's a five yard penalty clock stops. But because they declined right. it. Yeah, but because they declined it. The clock stops to move the chains because yes. it's college football and they do that weird thing. But then on the referee's signal, the clock is then running. Yes, that is what I believe is the correct case there. I think it was officiated correctly, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's all how that all works, how you explained it. So that's a situation. And even if it's wrong, they were running the clock. So well, when you, uh, see the, you see the clock going down, if you're Signetti, I think you've got to run in and call timeout. If you're Danucci, you've got to snap the football. And it's also just like, did they not know the rules? It was it was like, very. Did, did they think the? I clock think they thought it was stopped. stopped, and they just didn't look up at the clock, the game clock. I don't know, but yeah, that's sixteen crucial seconds. You look at it; that's what twenty four seconds they could have. Then at the end of the game, when they throw the and pick they, with they, eight seconds left, like right, and they they lost the game with a timeout in their back pocket. Yeah, that's so. It's like that's a situation where run up, call timeout. You've got – if they do it at 38, great. Let's say they even wait a few seconds because they're not paying attention. Then you've got about – you're saving yourself at 30 least 10 seconds, seconds yeah. I would think. Yeah, so you've probably got 30 seconds left in the game. And that's easy so. time for a full 30-down series of pass, pass, pass. Or even run, yeah, have, pass, pass. Or even run, spike, pass, pass. Right. You'd have 30 seconds from the North Dakota State 17 with one timeout. That is plenty of time. Instead, they really put themselves in a situation where they had to get stuff done early and you look at the offside penalty that came after and then the uh, pass interference that came after, time runs off on those plays. Like, you get the penalties, yes, but the time is going. And that's a situation where if they had had those extra eight seconds or so, instead of their final play coming with eight seconds left, they'd have about 16. I really think that they'd run the ball there. Yeah. I really do. Because it'd be first and goal with 15 seconds. They run it. 
And then even if they don't get it, they call timeout and they have two passes in the end zone. Yeah. So that to me is an absolutely critical clock management error. And I know that some people don't like talking about that, but you have to make those plays. If you're the head coach, if you're a quarterback, you need to be aware of those situations and be able to avoid those catastrophic errors in those pressure moments, because that can, that can be the difference between a win and a loss. And this kind of then goes into Jeff Latchum's, sorry if I mispronounced your name, his question, thoughts on clock game management struggles in the playoffs. We kind of glanced on that. We think it's terrible. But do you think that's a reason to be concerned moving forward? Um, I think it depends. I think in close games, yeah, I thought Signetti was bad um, against West Virginia with clock management. I thought he was bad against North Dakota State. So I think there's some elements there. I also think when he has the lead late in those moments, he's pretty good because he understands how to run the ball and really just like milk a game and end it. So I think it, it kind of depends what situations he's in as a run first guy trailing. I don't think he's that, that great, but I think he's got room to improve. I don't know how many situations he's been in. And I understand that he coached at Alabama, but when you're not the head coach at Alabama, the pressure is not nearly the same and you're not making the same decisions you would as a head coach. I think for him, this moment in the West Virginia moment, a winnable FBS game, I think those are, as, as a head coach, probably the two of the you know more pressure-packed situations of his coaching career. So I yeah. think he'll learn from it, and I wouldn't, wouldn't panic too much because I do think that he still has room to grow as a coach, and not really in the way he leads a program, but the way he, he coaches in-game. Yeah, I think it's just kind of something – I think it kind of is who Signetti is. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean – you'll probably see a couple clock management mistakes down the road, um, especially if they're trailing. Because like you said, when, when, he's, when he has the lead, there's no clock management problems whatsoever. It's something like what West Virginia did in the first game where they just couldn't figure out how to keep the clock running and give James no more chance. <laughs> right. Like They gave him back the ball with plenty of time. And, and Signetti's not going to make that mistake. But Signetti will make the mistakes on moving forward is when he's trailing late in a game and there's 16 seconds that run off or – there's eight seconds left and you have a timeout in your back pocket and you decide to throw a pass that ends up getting intercepted on the one yard line. Like just little, little things like that. I think he'll continuously kind of mess up. Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because nine out of the 10 games that you play with Kurt Signetti, nine and a half out of the 10 games you play with Kurt Signetti, you're not going to be in those trailing situations. Yeah. Especially at the FCS level with the talent Jamie has. I think yeah. that that's a really good point is that, you know, I think he'll probably get better, but they're also – I think people are maybe too upset with some of the, the losses and losing to North Dakota State. I think you look at JMU, the team it has going into next season, I think the Dukes are going to be very good. I think they'll probably be a top – I think they have a chance to be a top-five team again and uh, maybe even get back to Frisco. Obviously, that's a little early to say, but <laughs> I think they've got some good pieces. I think he's a good coach. I think the future is bright. Um, yeah, I think that it's not time to panic if you're a JMU fan. Yeah, not not at all, and and kind of some some of the crazier takes we've been seeing on JMU Nation and FCS football fans Nation. It, I mean, it's yeah, it's not time to hit the panic button. This wasn't the refs' fault. This this was a couple of coaching blunders here and there, but everyone just calm down. Also, comparing, kind of leading us into our next thing with this NDSU versus JMU rivalry. I don't think mm-hmm. JMU can. I don't think any program ever. And I and JMU included yes. in this can ever hold a candle to what North Dakota State's doing. Like what JMU has is special and it's something we should all appreciate and we shouldn't downplay it by saying, well, we're not North Dakota State or we should be better. But like 
we're comparing it to something that historically has never happened and we expect to happen again within the same lifetime. Like, that's not going to happen. And as a JMU fan, this loss kind of put that in perspective for me to take a step back and as a fan look at JMU and say, in the last four years, we made it to the national championship three times. Like, that's amazing. We may never go back to a national championship again. And, like, just to put it into terms of, like, like that, there, there are plenty of teams out there. It just so happens that we want to compare ourselves with North Dakota State, the cream of the crop of the FCS, and they've won as many national championships as they do losses during this dynasty. Let me know what you think of this. Would you agree that for North Dakota State, the expectation should be to win a national championship, and for JMU, it should be to contend for one? 110%. Like, North Dakota State now has made it, what, every year during the 2010s, except for one, they won the national championship? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's when we beat them in the semis, I guess. Yeah. And so, yeah, for 10 years, they've won a national championship. If you've done something for that long through three different head coaches and three or four different starting quarterbacks, you expect to win a national championship every year. North Dakota State fans can book their plane tickets now to go to Frisco for next season and probably for the season after that. But JMU fans shouldn't book that ticket until the night of the national semifinal game to get into Frisco type of thing. Like it's JMU is a contender each and every year, and that should be their goal. And if they get to North Dakota state, they can beat them, but we shouldn't expect to beat them. I think that's fair. Like, like coming into this game, I, was, I, I did expect to beat them because I still do think JMU was the better roster on paper, but it goes to show there's a lot more to ro- than just roster on paper when it comes to a football game. But, like, I forgot where I was going with that. Never mind. <laughs> but, no, I mean, you're right. I think going in, it seemed like a, the year that JMU should probably beat the Bison, I think in 2017 was a year they probably should have won too. And I think that's the crazy thing. Is like even when you think that you've got North Dakota State down a little bit, the you program is just so good. Yeah, you never really do. And until you, you talk about beating them, but you got to just go out there and actually do it. And until JMU wins at that level, then there's no real comparison. And uh, it doesn't mean JMU is not an elite program, though. Yeah, and I, I don't think you can compare these programs for another 20 years when you look back and you say, okay, JMU for that 10-year stretch won nine of those national championships. Like. There will never (laughs) be a comparison with what North Dakota State's doing because they've now continued this into 2020. Um, But yeah, they are the next level of greatness in the FCS. What other team in three or four years has gone to a national championship, winning one of them, and arguably almost, arguably could have won the other two if it wasn't for very conservative play calling. And, and that is elite, and I do consider them the clear-cut two. I think there is a clear one in North Dakota State, a clear two in JMU. I think there's a good bit of distance, and then there's, what, the threes of Eastern Washingtons and South Dakota States, and mm-hmm. and who am I missing? <laughs> I don't think you're really missing anyone. Really just those two programs? Maybe Weber State as of the last three years? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean – in terms of elite FCS programs, who's going to be a real, real contender, who's going to be in the top five of polls for an entire season, that's North Dakota State. That's JMU. Exactly. And I don't know. I think and that's not something we should be sad about. No. 
No, I'm still I'm, I'm looking at next year's schedule, and I'm excited, man. Like, I think it's going to be fun. The roster is going to be good. The schedule is exciting. They open with a conference game, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, two home games to start. They go on the road in mid-September to North Carolina. Like, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a yeah. fun year. Who's going to be at the helm next year? That is a good question. So I kind of feel – I feel so bad saying that Cole Johnson won't be the quarterback next year. He's not. I, I will I will say that for you. But I think they're pro- – I mean, if it's close, I think they're going to go with Gage just because he'll be a redshirt junior. They'll get two years of him. And I think with what we saw of him and Palmer both running the ball downhill, I, th- <laughs> I don't see how Signetti will pass that up. Like, Maloney's got a really strong arm as does Johnson, but I think Maloney's ability as a rusher, I think Cole does some nice things with like, but Maloney's like a Tim Tebow kind of guy. He's got the same number. He's the lefty, right? He's big. It's the easy, obvious comparison (laughs) because he's, he's white. So I'm sure people will make that Tim Tebow comparison, but he's kind of got that package, right? Where he's physical, can run, can throw it very far. He's strong. I don't know. I think for our team that wants to run the ball, he makes sense. And then they'll use him efficiently, but I think he sort of fits into their, run first, play defense, win some ugly games. So no Kyle Adams is what I'm hearing? Oh, I have so many thoughts on the Kyle Adams takes, but for another I'm podcast. not going to share them. Well, I think Kyle Adams is awesome. Like, I've watched his film and stuff. I think he's awesome. But I also think the idea that a freshman who, like, I don't know if he's necessarily undersized, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. I don't see how he could possibly win the starting quarterback job over someone like Cole Johnson, who's been there for so many years, is tall, Big, strong arm, understands the system, understands college offenses, understands, you know, different things like that. And then Maloney, who's just a, a tank, right? Yeah. He's a big dude with a big arm. I don't think – I love Adams' skill set. I also think he probably needs a year or two to just develop, learn the scheme, become an all-around better player. Yeah, I'm really excited for whatever transfer quarterback we get in to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> you I'm, think that's the play? I'm really pulling for the Houston quarterback. He's going to, like, Oklahoma. He's going to win the Heisman. <laughs> he can win the Heisman at JMU. Yeah, Trey Lance almost won it at uh, <laughs> Yeah, according to North Dakota State fans. Also, Trey Lance will never transfer because he has family tattooed on his inner arm. And I he considers uh, North Dakota State, the coaching staff and everything, family. And he clearly values that a lot more than what people are saying. So he won't transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Lance is, is fascinating because he very much could transfer and dominate at the FBS level. He would also stay. He's the kind of guy you could see it staying North Dakota State for three years and then turning pro. I think if his passing develops, he's going to be he's special. Yeah. And I mean, some North Dakota State fans are kind of making a good like saying. They're like, why would Trey Lance transfer yeah. when you have Carson Wentz, the number two overall pick, and now exactly. Easton Stick in the, in the league? Like, right? Easton Sticks with the Chargers? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you kind of have a point there. They have just as many quarterbacks in as a power five school. Very, very good point. It does crack me up, though, when they're like, I can't see any reason. Yeah, it's and like, it's like, yeah, I can see any a lot sort of, of reasons. <laughs> I can see any sort yeah. of yeah. additional coverage by, like, any media entity, which would put him rising up draft boards just because he would get the people looking at him. Even but yeah, if I he guess transferred there's... to, like, a small market Minnesota team who who is oh coming my, off yes. like a great season with PJ yes. Fleck. But if he just transfers to them, like think of the coverage they would get. Like he would rise up to be a fourth rounder overnight. Because right now he's an undrafted kid. But right now, if he if he moved to a power five school like that and become the starter for next season, overnight he'd become a fourth, third round draft pick. 
exactly. Just the attention. And then if he develops as a passer, he's going to fly up draft boards just yeah. because of what he can do with his feet. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But yeah, those, those are hilarious. Cause I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even think people brought it up. North Dakota state fans were just sort of out of nowhere. Like he's not transferring. And we're like, what? <laughs> did I think, somebody say he was, <laughs> I think it was the middle seat. Your father. Oh, um, my dad. Did he start? <laughs> just like, where, you know, he was just like, I think it was him where he was like, why are you guys like, so like adamant. Are you that afraid <laughs> so, he's going to transfer that you can convince yourself? <laughs> I just love your dad's tweets. It was, well, I think it was basically, yeah, just like, you guys seem really defensive about this because most JMU fans are just like, oh, it could be interesting if he did. And then they're like, he never would. He he loves it. There's an article <laughs> quoting his mom. And it was like, what? <laughs> All right. Whatever. I don't, I mean, I don't really think he will, but. Oh no, I don't. It's interesting to it's interesting to think about for random college football fans, which I think is what was happening. (laughs) But instead, they're like, "No one will ever leave." Here's a bold prediction to ruffle some feathers. Trey Lance transfers to (laughs) Jamie. He just likes the roster more. (laughs) He wants to have some talent at the skill position. I do think we'll get a transfer quarterback in this offseason and he'll contend for the starting job. I don't I would know not if be surprised to it. see us. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see us add a transfer and not like a Connor Mitch situation. Yeah, it might be it might be a Connor Mitch and Gage or Coles the Brian Shore on the roster. Who knows? Um but I do expect us to add a transfer quarterback this offseason just cuz that's been kind of the MO when we graduate out a quarterback, we bring in a transfer junior. That's yeah. just that's just been the MO. So I'm saying it. Granted, that was two coaches. I'm rooting for Cole Johnson. Ago, so. I'm rooting for Gage Maloney. I was on the Gage Maloney I want Cole train. Johnson so bad. I was He's on the low around. key dark horse Gage Maloney train when Ben came in. See, I was on Cole Johnson. I was like, oh, Cole Johnson's easily going to win this job. And then people were like, Ben Nucci and run. And I was like, when Cole Damn. lost it for two Damn. years in a row. And Gage, yeah, because they're saving, they're saving his arm. And and Gage had year. a great spring game last year. That's when I was like, Cole's never. Gonna and they win. and they've developed a package for him in the national championship game. It's a little alarming. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, for, the, for us baby giraffe truthers, um, it's a little. We have two more Twitter questions for our baby giraffe truthers out there. Um, yes. That's going to be a hashtag now. Mark Tunstall, he asked, what happened to Kendall Dean, Willie Drew, and Solomon Van Horse? Didn't see them much or at all in the back half of the season. Um, you kind of want to take this one, and then I'll, I'll build upon it as what I, what I can build upon? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> I think I'm pronouncing it Kendall Dean all year. It's definitely Kendall. Kendall, so yeah. that's frustrating. Right? Yeah. How do you yeah, pronounce I think, it? You know, you're 100% right. I've been saying, like, Kendall. Oh, like, like, a, like one of those reading like, tablets, <laughs> yeah. like shortening <laughs> the Kindle to Kindle. <laughs> yeah, so that's not good. Um, I think he was. I believe I saw him on the sideline in sweat. So I think maybe he's banged up. That'll be my guess on him. And then I think you were saying that Willie Drew left the program. Probably that is unconfirmed. But Michael Evangelista, um, I read a couple, I mean, like right after the national championship, he added Craig McGee and was like, Willie Drew had a lot of snaps in the beginning of the season, no longer listed on the team's roster. I went onto the team's roster to confirm he is not on JMU football's roster, which normally means he's no longer with the program. And I don't think he transferred um, to go on and play football somewhere else because we would have heard about that. Um so I don't know why he left the program, but that's all I'm going to say on that. 
Yes, stay tuned. Maybe some information will come up. But that is a very good point that we have done this GMU football following for a little while now. So we are aware of, like, when a player magically disappears from the roster, it means they're probably not on the team. Yeah. Um, and then Van Horse, I think Van Horse played. Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, but like they kept <laughs> Douglas's red shirt, so Austin Douglas can red shirt. They burned yeah. Van Horse's pretty early on because he was kind of a go-to guy in the beginning. I think it just became that Percy and Jawan separated themselves and during practices and stuff like that, and Van Horse just kind of got buried on the depth chart, became more of a receiving option, and we know how much Jamie loves to throw the ball. Um, so I yeah, just don't I think, think he saw the, the field a lot just in terms of he didn't necessarily fit the package. Now, I'm not saying next season – he could see the the field all, a lot. Also, Van Horse was already a red shirt, so you couldn't. Right. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't. I don't mean this offensively, but I think when you've got, um, he's the fourth guys, best running back. Yeah. When you've Is got like say? Percy, I was going to say Percy, Jawan, and like Palmer. They're all scholarship guys, and uh, I think Van Horse walked on. I don't know if he has earned a scholarship yet or not, or was given one. Is a better way to say it. Uh, I think he's definitely earned it, but I don't know if they gave him one. Um. So yeah, when you have like guys that you coveted out of high school and I know saying that he wasn't the coach, but these guys like Jawan Hamilton, UCF transfer, like he's a stud. You've got Percy who they really wanted out of high school. And then Palmer has been a highly tattered recruiter has been good. I think it's just them being really good. I don't think it's a slight against Van Horse, but like you're saying, he's, they put him in, in passing situations and they never throw the ball. Yeah. And when they do, they, they throw it to Polk and Stapleton. So it's hard for him to get in there, but he's had great off seasons and always seems to sort of um, make headlines after the spring game and stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, find his way on the field again next year just because he's a good change of pace back and really solid and, and maybe look more for him in two years where I think he'll have Percy and Jawan leave. I think Van Horse could very well still be lurking there as a big-time contributor. Yeah, in two years, Van Horse and Palmer are going to kind of take it. Van Horse, the more shifty back, and Palmer, the more pounded-in-your-face type of back. But that's two exactly. years down the road in season four of the Jamie Sports News podcast. Damn, um, that'll be crazy. We were in season two. That's crazy. Yeah, we yeah, we're yeah, totally – yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that. We're not on season one anymore. Um, I forgot that we've been doing this for so long and so well. Do you want to answer this question that should be? I think it's actually to Jamie Sports Blog. Shout out to the Jamie Sports Blog guys. <laughs> um, but we were included in it too. Best thing you ate this season? I don't know if that means at a tailgate. I don't know if that means <laughs> just overall during from the beginning of football season to now if you went out to a restaurant on a Tuesday night. Um, I don't even care. It's a good question. Best thing you ate this season. So since what? August. What's the best thing you've eaten? Man, that's a good question. Okay, so I went to Louisville to cover Virginia Louisville. And I went out to dinner with one of the beat writers two nights. We went to some real good places and they had big time food. So that is up there. But I feel like I feel like there's I don't I went to Boston recently and had a decent lobster roll. I also had shrimp in like a giant plastic garbage bag, just like a ton of Cajun shrimp. Oh, that sounds so, good. Uh, that was big time. I was very surprised when they brought it out. They're like, here's your bag. And I was like, what? You gave me <laughs> gloves and stuff. And it was just, it was a good time. So that was, that was certainly up there. What about you? Um, so there's this Italian restaurant in – there's two Italian restaurants in Hoboken. Ooh, Olive Garden. <laughs> no, it's Carabas, man. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <For my mistake. laughs> 
Um, one's called Napoli's, and they make really mm-hmm. funky like pizzas. Like they have a penne alla vodka pizza, um, and it's BYOB. They do that in Jersey, and I think that just makes the experience so much better. That I can get a yes. pizza and calamari for twenty bucks and drink an entire bottle of wine by myself for twenty bucks. <laughs> um, That's the dream. So they have. Well, did, really- you, did you not pay for the wine? Did you get your your wine dad's deal? Well, when it's B- they BYOB, you just bring it. But you pay for it, right? I mean, you yeah, you buy it by yourself, and then you just bring <laughs> yeah. it. But it's cheaper, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you like I can, like I can that. get a bottle. Gotcha, of gotcha, 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 gotcha. So yes, and then I'll go into this. I was story. like, are you stealing this for the no? <laughs> and then BYO- I go to the local store, I steal a bottle of wine, <laughs> then I go to BYOB. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how it works. There's this another place called Soralina. Um, it's a little bit like of a higher end place, but they do like homemade pastas and stuff like that. Oh. And I had um, I had a homemade pasta i do have one the some of the best food i've ever had in my entire life um but it was before the season starts so unfortunately i can't talk about it um, i'll also throw in <laughs> the best alcohol i've had since the season started um oh yes was i have two for this as well because i i have really hard time picking favorites um was probably honestly last night to celebrate getting the cbs job i splurged a little bit and i bought a 35 dollar bottle of wine but I only got it for Hell 20. Yeah. I bought it for 20 bucks. So. And it was good. Oh, it was the best. It was Abrams Bridge Cabernet Sauvignon from the Napa Valley. Best cab I've ever had in my entire life. Um, I was dr- watching the national championship last night. I accident- oh. accidentally drank the entire bottle because it was just so delicious. Um, I respect it. And I found out that I'm a big fan of old fashions during this football season. I love it with mm. a good Angels Envy. Good Angels Envy Bourbon. Give me some Angostura bitters. I'm gonna. I'm. I, I'm thinking about investing in my own like old fashioned kit. Getting myself a sh- like you all should. the stuff for it and start making them. But it's also kind of a huge investment. But what was your best alcohol you've had this season? My best alcohol. That's a good question. Sequench Ale. I was. I might go with the Sequench. Although Three Notch. Yeah, Blackberry was... Ghost. No, that's not my best. Good one though. You bringing it up good soon? One. I should bring you some. We'll have to bring them up. Whenever you come to Hoboken to... next to visit, because you've never visited before, I'm calling you out on the podcast. I'll go with... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm going to go with Skinny... I'm a big Skinny Dennis at Pale Fire fan. Okay. It is just super light, and I've been into like beers that don't make me feel ill recently, and, <laughs> and they have been, been up there, which is a weird thing to want out of a beer. But I think that is certainly up there on my list Ooh. i love me a good pale fire beer but i'm also just nostalgic in the spot so i feel like i could be drinking like piss and i'd be like this is amazing but pale fire doesn't make piss pale fire makes good no beer. their stuff is good to clarify <laughs> <laughs> we should have a whole podcast on just like alcohol takes yeah because like now that we're talking about it i have so much to talk about and it comes to beers and stuff like that like working at wine dads i've just learned so much about the not only about the world of wine but we have such an awesome this is a complete ad for Wine Dads. If you're ever in Hoboken, come to 1330 Willow Avenue, right next to Trader Joe's to come to Wine Dads. Tell them Jack sent you. Um, but they have a fantastic craft brew section, like uh, New Jersey craft brews and the national craft brews, like McKellar from San Diego. Of course, your Sierra Nevadas, your Dogfish Heads. Um, but yeah. they have like Surly. I think that's from Minnesota. They had Rheingeist from, I think, Cleveland. Like they get these really cool, funky craft brews that it just have awesome stuff. I just had a industrial arts 
wrench. It's a IPA, but it was the one of the best beers mm. I've ever had in my entire life. Wasn't too hoppy because they didn't boil the hops. So it wasn't like you're drinking grass. We'll get off that topic. Favorite season memories. This season, looking back on what are you going to remember most, most fondly? Oh, man. Okay, so I only went to, if I'm not mistaken, I only went to the Weaver State game. So that sort of jumps out just because I went to it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. That one jumps out for sure. The Villanova comeback was awesome. Yeah. I think that, stre- that stretch, the uh, Stony Brook Villanova stretch, those two wins jump out. But then for me, honestly, the most memorable moment was West Virginia and North Dakota State. Those are the two that I was the most like engaged in those games, yeah. most excited about those games. And even though there were losses, just to see JMU competing against good teams and that kind of thing, that's what stood out to me. It's just I like when the games are close and competitive against good teams, and those were they felt like those were the two best. I thought JMU was a lot better than Stony Brook, and turnovers kept it close. Yeah, I like those answers. My one game I went to was Towson this season, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like the experience as a fan. Like I talked about it on that podcast. It was kind of weird. Probably because I had never done the fan experience before. So True. that one doesn't jump off to me. What does is probably that Elon, Stony Brook, Villanova run as a whole, mm-hmm. capping it off with the Villanova comeback. Um, and that was when I was going to the NYC bar every weekend for those three yes. weeks. And those that was a lot of fun with those eight people that we'd go and see the game with. And then going to the NYC bar for the national championship, and there was easily over 300 <laughs> that's awesome God, there's... Yeah, that, that picture they had was crazy and they ran out of it's a quick thing on the NYC bar they ran out of Bud Light and Brooklyn Lager and I don't think they were expecting the crowd because they had two bartenders for oh, 300 people they were I had to wait so to get my first like round of drinks I got a bucket of Bud for me and my friends it mm. took 30 minutes to like, get <laughs> through and then when I was trying to close out it took another like 30 minutes man but it was fun it was it was good to be be around a drunken jmu fans it was like i was back home it's the dream it was a memorable season i was it my was thoughts about this year are very positive yeah i mean stony brook comeback amazing win um villanova amazing comeback win and then after those it was just blowout 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 defensive struggle Win against Weber State. Crushing loss. <laughs> Crushing loss. That's accurate. And I'm already excited for next year, man. That opener against Delaware. Ooh, let's go. Two early season predictions. Record oh, okay. next year. How many games? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven games this year. Next year. Eleven games. Plus playoffs. Well, I guess we'll just do the 11 games. I'm going to say they go, I th- I'm going to say 9-2. and two. Who's the losses? Definitely think they're going to lose North Carolina. Yep. And then they've got... They got the undercuffler at the undercuffler. Oh, shit. I forgot about him. The, him... The road games are actually kind of hard. You've got in, a, in North Carolina, Albany, <laughs> Towson, Villanova, and Richmond. So I think they'll drop one of those. Which one? <laughs> I have no idea. I guess I should say. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Flacco's gone. Right? Uh, Towson's not good anymore.
Nova. I'll say they lose to Nova. Okay, I'm going to go nine and two as well. Okay. But I have their losses, North Carolina and Albany. Interesting. Two in a row. Yeah, I don't think their secondary And that gets, will be a panic, panic will, button. Because at that point, we'll be two and two in the season. People will freak out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That, that would happens. be the first back-to-back losses since the Withers era in 2015, I believe. No. Yes, yes, when we lost to Richmond and William and Mary. Those that would be the last time. We oh, lost. the first shore starts. <laughs> Memories. I'm gonna clip that one thing at Brian I guess, Shore I guess the, and just say <laughs> and just say nothing. I guess the, he didn't he didn't he didn't start the <laughs> Richmond game. He didn't start the Richmond game. But this the William and Mary one was his I went to that game with brother. He was at, he was um at law school, William and Mary, and they snapped it over Shore's head and I just went to the exits. <laughs> I was like, what the? <laughs> I was so pissed. And as we walked to the exit, as this thrilling game came to a close, two William & Mary students ran in, <laughs> giving, giving their tickets to someone. They were going to the game with eight seconds left. <laughs> what? A, unbelievable. Like, oh, do we miss it? Like, yes, you missed it. <laughs> By three hours. <laughs> I was so mad. And then, not that I need to disclose this, <laughs> then we went to a party in Richmond with uh, him and his girlfriend, and I got really drunk, and so did he. And we got Tootsie Rolls, and we were on a balcony, and we would ask people walking by <laughs> if they wanted Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> if they said no, we would absolutely whip a Tootsie Roll down about as hard as we could because I, I was very intoxicated. People would be like, oh, I'll have one. I'd be like, okay. And I'd sling it out. I'd be like, ow, ow. And I was like, you're welcome. Yeah. Neon Halloween is, <laughs> Neon Halloween is rough, man. If people, people made it this far, when I get drunk on Halloween, it gets bad. Freshman year, we, got, we were pre-gaming in my dorm. We never ended up leaving because we got so drunk. At one point, I leaned out, out our window. In freshman year, at, you said? Yeah. Where are you I yelled living? at some. It was um, Dinglebean in the village. So I opened the window and like put my face in it, basically. And I screamed at someone i said your costume sucks and then she said fuck you and gave me a middle finger and then i turned around and i was like she was incredibly rude to me and everyone's like you just yelled that her costume sucks and i i did not remember doing that part i thought she was rude but really it was me so i guess i'm a terrible person on Halloween. and maybe most other days yeah so i don't know if that answers it, but I would say that's my most memorable moment of the season. <laughs> okay, one more question for you. Yeah. Um, who do you have in Frisco next year? Mm, that's a good question. Or to go to state, obviously. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and who else is good? Is that Eastern Washington quarterback coming back? Wow, you're not picking JMU? Let me see if this guy comes back first. They stink, though. Def- <laughs> defensively, at least. But I feel like they're supposed to be good. He's a Richard Jr. He's not gonna. <laughs> he's not gonna go pro. Nobody goes pro. This guy going pro. No. Um. Let's see. Let me check their schedule out. They they open at Florida. <laughs> they get Weber State and Montana and Montana State at home though. Yeah, um, but they also get Weber State, Montana State, and Montana. Yeah, well, those are conference games. Of yeah, course I know. They get them. <laughs> well, I don't know. Do they get them every year? They don't play them every year. Do they? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We don't get all of them every year. 
True. Uh, I don't know if their other players are good. Oh, Jason Williams leaves. I feel like he was good. Richard. I feel like I heard um, that name. Yeah, he seems like a name I would know. I have no idea if they have return a lot. Um, I'll just, I actually will say JMU. I'll say JMU North Dakota State. I think that's the safest bet at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think JMU returns a ton, even though people are, are looking at what they lose. I think they gain a lot of really talented players. I think Signetti and his style, I think they have a good chance to win this CAA. I can't really think of a team that I would pick over them to win the conference next year. And I think if you win the conference, you're going to get a bye. Jamie is unbelievable at home. So, yeah, I think I'll take him. Yeah, I think next year it'll be Jamie North Dakota State. I think Albany might win the CAA. Um, really? You're big on undercuffler. I'm big on undercuffler. He does graduate all of his receiving core, but yeah, that's so something. Every time he throws an underneath route for three yards, that turns into 70. Um, it'll be hard. But, yeah, Jamie North Dakota State. Safe bet, things like that. You're right. Their roster returns a lot of great players. It's kind of who becomes the quarterback, but everything else kind of fills itself out, and especially with their new uh, – D line transfer from Minnesota. They're they're yes. They literally are just reloading. Don't sleep on um, Weber State. <sighs> I'm gonna sleep on Weber State. So quick rundown. I we'll talk more about men's and women's basketball next week. This was kind of yeah. the two weeks of football. Um, but just to keep you guys in the loop, if you haven't been following along, men's basketball still sucks. Women's basketball. Bro, um, they suffered a tough loss, but don't worry because they'll probably still win the CAA. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. That wasn't a good loss, though. They're they're they got down that early. At- yeah, that at large berth is they lost it, and it's probably <laughs> probably gone. The point. second you lose a CAA game and the game, the terrible game to UVA, you you lost your. Those are both bad losses. Yeah, those are so bad losses, and you have no good wins. Right, that you lost your at large. It- Makes it incredibly tough. Men's basketball. Sucks. I'm excited to talk about. I'm excited to talk about them the rest of the way, man. Because we have so many takes on them. Oh, you change is a coming. Oh man, we we have so many takes. We have so many theories. We have so many. So we have so many lineup propositions. Last year they listened to us when we said go small and put Deshaun at the one. That's <laughs> no, pretty funny. Um. So hopefully they listen to some of our propositions this year. Honestly, we're willing yeah. to come down to Harrisonburg and coach a game for pay. Pay our room and board. That's all I'm asking. Put us up in Hotel Madison. I would do that. Put us up in Hotel Madison for a night. Separate rooms, but adjoining. Three. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And let's do do three nights. Let's have some fun in Harrisonburg. And all we can eat at, what's it called? The Restaurant Beneath. What's it called? They have a restaurant beneath Hotel Madison? Yeah, they have a restaurant in it. It's really good. Oh. Okay, yeah, that place. Oh, you want all you can eat, eat, all you can drink. Uh, I'm going to be sloshed for two days, and then I'm going to wake up hungover with mm-hmm. you, and we're going to coach. And we're going to win. <laughs> and uh, We yeah. would win, though. Like, that's the thing. And I would get... <laughs> I fully believe we would win a game as coaches. <laughs> really? Wait, wait, I would get ejected within seconds. <laughs> that's why I'm there. No, I did. Did I tell you the story? I really love you how we ejected. ramble at the end. I almost got ejected... Got ejected. I fouled out, but I almost got ejected like from the gym oh, yes. during a UREC game. I remember this. Did I say this on the podcast? I don't know. But what did you do? I got I fouled out on a really weak foul. All my fouls were weak. They called me for moving feet, but I <laughs> went straight up on all of them. I was just trying to get the block, but I, I just went straight up. Not, not, I didn't even leave my feet, and they, they ran into me. I had my feet set up. Find, I wanna, 
It was a charge. <laughs> it's whatever. Video. Um, no, I did get a technical. Um, yeah, but yeah, that one was bad. It was a bad foul, and I got the ball, and I slammed the ball. You know, the classic technical. Yeah, that's um, a classic T. Yeah, I deserved it. Um, and just stuff started happening. I started John with the uh, the UREC ref. Um, who wasn't paid enough to deal with me. And I realized that. Um, and they were like, one more word out of you and you're gone. And I looked at him and I said, what's the punishment for getting ejected in that tone and everything after I was just yelling. Um, and they said, you have to meet with the head of intramural intramurals, like that staff member <laughs> with UREC. And I went, all right, I'll shut up. And I sat down on the bench and I didn't say another word. Nice. You didn't think it was worth it. Oh, it wasn't worth it at all. They were making some bad calls, though, man. You should have gotten tossed. God, they were making some bad calls. That's a Matt Brady Brady move to get warned and then not get tossed. I didn't want to meet with the UREC guy. That's that's why Brady never got caught. He was threatening. They were threatening my perfect season. That's true. Zero points, zero shots, zero assists, zero rebounds in 48 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's, that's incredible. Well, I think that JMU men's basketball is about to turn a corner. And if we are just patient enough, because they'll turn doing a corner that... if they pull what UNCW <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, goodness. What they're doing is they're becoming accountable. They're becoming accountable, Jack. I don't know if you listen to O'Neill's grill press conference on Monday. They're becoming accountable now. They're realizing that, hey, we have to allow fewer points and score more points than our opponents. We do that. Chip, stop, chip, chip. Game's, game's over. Wouldn't it be funny if Roe just looked at the eight key questions and every week in his O'Neill's press conference hit one of the, um, the <laughs> eight key questions? Because I'm pretty sure accountability is on there. Oh, my God. We have to start looking at this and see if he is. Let me say he pulls out like a little plastic card during the next one. On his mappy. And, uh... It's on the back of his mappy. And he, he has the convo circled on mappy and it says coach here. <laughs> Fairness. <laughs> I'm just trying to empathize with the guys, all right? Because our, I bet he does mention all these. That's incredible. All right. Yeah, well, I think that we'll talk about this more next time. But um, the team is bad, and I, I think they're going to win the national championship. Yeah, just get ready for all the takes that are going to be coming from men's basketball. Um, anything else out there that we should be reading? Anything like that? You did this a couple times on our season one podcast, and I've kept it going ever since. You should never... You should never read in 2020. 2020 is not the year of reading. It's the year of visual stimulation. So 2020 is the year of going to CBS Sports Network, giving it a follow, and checking out what they're tweeting. There you go. Perfect, perfect way to end. Awesome. For Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. This is dropping on a Tuesday. Um, see ya.
you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.